Hello, welcome to Sexy History, where we talk about two things as old as time, sex and history. Let's uncover what's under the covers. So roll your condoms on, because we're going to go deep. <laughs> welcome to part two. I'm so happy you made it back for this. Uh, a little recap. The last episode was sex work in the Wild West before 1870. In the 1860s, sex work was a legal profession in the West. Then, in the 1870s, the untamed West became tame enough for wives, sisters, and children to migrate to. Here, we start seeing laws against prostitution pop up. The Women's Christian Temperance Union is invading the West, and they are prevalent. They are the ones pushing for laws against sex work. They don't like loose women, or having those women around who probably slept with their husbands. The reality of Red Light Woman, post-1869, when they were not in the brothel, was them walking down the street and people not acknowledging them, women hiding their kids' eyes from seeing them. It did not matter if you were appropriately dressed or not. Society made it so, in many towns, the Red Light Woman had their own shopping day to protect the respectable people, so they didn't have to see them or be around them. I mean, minus the getting cast out from society, I would love to have my own shopping day. Please get out of my way. I don't want to be crowded when I'm trying to pick out my new gloves, okay? These red light ladies, or soiled doves, in many cases had more money to spend than most of the people in town. A miner's salary was anywhere from one to three dollars a day, Whereas our ladies were making anywhere from 20 to to $100 a day, just depending on what level of prostitution they were in. In the 1870s to the 1900s, laws were enacted against sex work. However, it is important to note that towns with brothels and sex workers had less sexual assaults. In Salida, Colorado and Wallace, Idaho, the towns closed their brothels, then asked them to reopen when they saw a spike in sexual assaults happening in their towns. In Jerome's, Arizona, the police told all the men and informed any man new to town that if they needed a release, they were to go to the brothel because crimes against women in the town were not going to be tolerated. Now that we are in a gray area where sex work is illegal, but it helps the town financially and protects women from sexual assault, what did those laws look like? To the law, they were fines. However, to us today, they looked more like a tax. Each sex worker had to pay a monthly fine around $10, and madams would pay $20. This also included mandatory health exams. This was mainly for the sex workers. I couldn't find anything um, if the madams had to also indulge in this. Health was a huge part of a sex worker's life. They had to stay pretty and healthy enough to work. Boston University, in the Mill Pond excavation, found a bottle. They gave this bottle to Richard Lawrenson? Lorson? I'm very sorry, but this will be in the notes on my YouTube channel. He is a chemistry professor, and they used him to extract residue from the bottle, and he found cassava oil. 
The analysis revealed old medical treatments for venereal disease in a brothel. This is the only concrete evidence that we have for what the women were using to treat their conditions. Back then, this oil was a natural remedy for ulcers, stomach cancers, and venereal disease. They found vaginal syringes as well, which is believed the woman used them to insert medicine for cleanliness purposes and for abortions. Abortion syringes were usually filled with mercury, arsenic, and vinegar. I cannot imagine the pain. That is a rough combo. Like, I, mm, mm, I'm sorry, I don't want to inject mercury into my fucking hoo-ha. Going back a little, in order to find the brothels and workers, cities often kept meticulous records. They kept a ledger of all their painted ladies' names and ages. In some ledgers, the ladies' profession was listed as sports, meaning sporting woman. In modern context, this means sex worker. Then the place that they noted for their workplace was sometimes listed as bods, meaning body house. Once sex work became illegal, many madams tried to legally keep doing it without fines. Madam Nancy Boggs of Oregon's had a boat parlor on the river where the men would board and be with their ladies. Then if the police came after them, they would escape across the river and the police couldn't catch up to them. Madam Dora Topham put down $20,000 of her own money and worked with the government for a sanctioned experiment where the city would have a block of prostitution. I do not know what came of this experiment, but Dora Topham was the only state-sanctioned madam of Utah. That was her official title. Illegal or not, everyone made money from brothels. Many prominent men owned brothels. There was a law at one point saying that whoever owned the brothel had to have their name inscribed outside of the brothel. This exposed many men in town. But like Trump said, God made lawyers and some very clever ones looked into this law they noticed it didn't say what language it needed to be printed in, so there are plaques in many different languages, so mainly men could keep their identities safe. Men owning brothels was still swept under the rug, unlike women owning brothels. It is also interesting to me that even when parlors became illegal, police chiefs and elected officials and businessmen would still meet in parlor houses because they knew the madam and the girls would keep their secrets. Being in a room with powerful men, madams would take advantage of this, like Mae Phelps of Trinidad, Colorado. She helped finance the trolley system for the town. And yes, she had a track going through the red light district to her parlor. As a side note, she also created a rest home for her girls that became ill or pregnant. Madams took care of their girls and their towns. Another madam, Laura Evans in Salida, Colorado. She was essentially known as the Department of Social Services for the town. She secretly paid wages of customers who lost their jobs, or she would find them jobs and give that employer money to employ them. If women came to her 
to work for the wrong reasons, she would put them up in a boarding house and then send them home. She was well-versed with the police as her parlor was asked to reopen when they banned prostitution, as I mentioned earlier. Coming to the turn of the century, in the 1900s, many brothels were struggling and getting closed down. Liquor started getting outlawed in the 1910s. World War I was underway and the military swept across the nation to close down as many of the brothels and sex houses they could. They did this because enlisted men were coming back to base, drunk with venereal diseases, and my roommate and I suspect the military closed down brothels because of honeypotting as well. I will go over honeypotting in another episode. The military men were the middlemen because they got money from the government and then they would go spend this money in parlors. When this money was given to those women, that money stayed local. This is millions of dollars being kept in local economies. Then in the 1920s, there was a nationwide prohibition. This led to the end of almost every parlor. And that was the end of the Wild West and sex work. There are a couple more madams I would like to mention because I couldn't mention them earlier. There was a black madam named Tex Lindenville who was acquitted for shooting Albert Sherwood in self-defense. Sadly, I couldn't find more about her or her influence. Madam Maddie Silks owned the most successful parlor in Denver. She got in the first account of a female-on-female duel with another madam, supposedly over a lover, and some like to say topless. These are both greatly debated, though. What isn't debated is that Maddie kicked the other woman's ass. Madam Laura Bell, who owns the mansions, would send her family members to college. Surprisingly, the family knew what she did and did not disown her, which was a very common practice. She supported them. Laura refused to be kicked out of town by the police and the government. They couldn't get her out, so they tried framing her. The police hid stolen liquor in her house. Laura went to court and she was acquitted. They could prove that the liquor was stolen and planted in her home. The only way the government could get rid of her was by mysteriously being run off the road, which killed her. And conveniently, the only witnesses was the district attorney and his friends. They literally had to kill her to get her to stop running a brothel. Lastly is my favorite and the most recent madam of all the ones I've talked about, Madam Del Burke, who lived in Lusk, Wyoming. She started doing sex work at a young age, and then by the time she was 19, she was a madam. Her parlor was the Yellow Hotel, which was across from the train station. Dell started her parlor in the 1920s and then ran it for 60 years. Dell was one of the most charitable people in town, always at the top of donor lists, and she sent several townspeople to college. Her house was closed on Sundays, so men would be at church. Dell was well-read and became a millionaire, not because of her parlor, but because she was an astute businesswoman and made most of her money from investments. Dell was so wealthy, she loaned the town money 
to pay for the transformer to give the town electricity. Quite literally, this town would not have had electricity without this madam. She gave to every church and was on several overseeing boards for the town. Lusk would not be the town it is today without Madame Del Burke. Once the town tried to shut her down and she replied, shut me down and I'll shut off the lights. What a badass. These women went by many names, were excluded from society, and the West would not be what it is without them. Modern America wouldn't be what it is today without these women. They were amazing and giving women who in many cases were the foundation to a town's prosperity. Thank you for tuning in to part two. A list of resources will be on my YouTube and please follow and rate my podcast five stars. It would be greatly appreciated. You can also reach me at Meglagoof, M-E-G-L-A-G-O-O-F on Instagram. Thanks. I'll see you in the next episode.